This is the Power of Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you already know you're in the best place because this is where the best run. I have an opening buzz quote from a blog, blog blog.hubspot.com. Listen up, everyone. This will give you insight into our topic today. It's no secret that selling to other businesses is tricky. You simply won't succeed if you don't take B2B selling for what it is. Listen up. This is important. A high-stakes selling game that requires an entirely unique approach from direct-to-consumer selling. It's important to develop a sales process that works for your business, your prospects, and your overall goals. That encapsulates it. So what are we talking about? Companies around the world, and we know you are listening to us on the business channel here on Voice America all over the world. So we're talking to you. Companies around the world like yours are spending up to billions of dollars every year on sales and digital marketing activity aimed at what do you want? You want to generate new sales lead opportunities. Yeah, we used to call it a pipeline. We used to call it a marketing funnel. You want it filled. But much of this budget, and it's a big budget very often, is wasted if your sales organization has a poor deal closing performance rate at the other end of that pipeline. There was a recent study by CSO Insights. It's their annual sales enablement study, and they found that the win rate for forecast deals was just 46.4%. I don't know how that stacks up for your company, but think about it. How is it that the top performing B2B companies achieve up to 80% deal close ratio? What do they know? What do they do differently? What does their sales team have in their pack of tools that you don't have if you're not up to that level? Today, we have Michael May at S. Pierce AG. He'll tell us what his company does. And Simone Usch and Frederick Uckerman. I'm doing my best at pronunciations and I'm on Zoom and they're smiling. I think I did okay. Uh, Simone and Frederick are at SAP to share their experiences. They're going to discuss best practices, processes, and skills training for sales enablement in this very critical area of every business. This show is important to all of you, no matter where you are in your business. If you're trying to reopen, yes, we're still in a pandemic globally, trying to reopen. If you're already open, sales, 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 you've got to keep staying alive and thrive. And that's the goal. So welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Let's go around the table and have my wonderful panelists introduce themselves. First up, we have Michael May. Michael, please tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what your company does, and what's your passion for sales enablement and deal closing. That's our topic. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. And hello, everybody. My name is Michael May. Originally, originally I'm coming from Germany. I also was employed by SAP at the beginning of the millennium, and later I worked for Bearing Point in Frankfurt. Meanwhile, I have been living in Switzerland for 13 years, and a few years ago, I founded SPSAG together with my peer group. At SPS, I have the role of the managing director, and uh, we understand ourselves as an SAP analytics manufactory, and are located in Tegerville at the Lake Constance in Switzerland. So we see ourselves as a contract manufacturer and not as a serial producer. Our raw material is data and analytics is our passion, especially the development and expansion of planning, simulation and reporting environments are the main focus of our activities. 
and we work across all industries and answer any analytical questions. What do we do in the context of digital transformations in Concreto? We merge data in assured quality, create user group specific reporting or analytic platforms. This can be a planning environment for a controlling department, for example, a standard reporting for the top management or even a self-service environment for analysts. Especially predictive questions play an increasingly important role. In the last uh, month, the automation of forecasting and budgeting processes is becoming much more important. And further, for more than three years now, we have been fully focused on analytics cloud solutions that accelerate definitely the digital transformation of companies. Especially in times like these, we have not only had to change our working habits as consultants, but are also taking more intensive digital paths in sales. Our employees uh, have become extremely important ambassadors for us in the social media world. Generating digital content and attracting attention in the social media determines our current day-to-day -day sales activities. And now, thanks uh, for the brief introduction, I'm looking forward to the exchange and I'm very excited about the coming hour. Thank you, Michael. We're so happy to have you here and welcome. And now let's go one stop around the table to Simone Ush at SAP. Simone, welcome to Game Changers Radio. We're so happy to have you here. And you're up. Please tell everybody what you do, what your role is, and what is your passion for this very, very important topic. Welcome, Simone. Thank you very much, Bonnie. So um, my name, you already mentioned, I'm an account executive uh, for SAP in Switzerland responsible for sales, both at net new name and existing customers in the mid-market segment in the French-speaking part of Switzerland, even living in the German-speaking part. Um, I have like an end-to-end -end responsibility for revenue generation at my customer, the assigned customer base, and am acting as a, a single point of contact uh, for partners during the sales cycle. I'm in sales now for like more than 20 years in different companies uh, based on my experience and education. Everything what I did in the past is now or digital or is, has become IT or information technology. I spent one year in another uh, like business area, which was a manufacturing company, but that's all what I did. And uh, I'm extremely uh, passionate about the topic that we are discussing today. Uh, it inspires me a lot and I'm so happy to share my thoughts uh, with the audience. Thank you very much, Simone. Pleasure to have you on board. We have one more panelist who's waiting impatiently. I said that once to a third panelist, Frederick. I said Bob was waiting patiently and Bob, it was his turn. He said, how do you know I'm patient? I can't wait to get on the show. So Frederick Uckerman, we're very happy to have you here and please kindly introduce yourself and what's your take on the topic? Go ahead, Frederick. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here as well. Um, I'm Frederick. I am an account executive as well in, at SAP. I'm covering the German market. So I'm the counterpart to uh, Simone. And I pretty much do the same work, so I don't want to go too much into detail about that. But I want to do, talk more about the passion of sales because funnily enough, when I was studying, I was always telling myself, I am never going to do sales. I'm never going to work in IT because those are two topics that I'm not good at. And I quickly found out that I'm actually very empathetic. Um, and I feel like empathy is a big part of sales because you do need to understand what the client actually wants. And I quickly realized I'm actually not that bad at sales and IT is actually super interesting. So I decided, okay, might as well just give it a shot. Um, and that's when I started doing sales. 
I am very eager to learn more and I'm very hungry for new things in sales, especially how we can digitize the sales cycle, how we can make sure that the clients, um, that the clients needs are covered and that we can really meet whatever they want from us, uh, which is why I'm super interested in all technological aspects of the sales cycle, how we can make it quicker, faster, and the more, the most convenient for our clients and prospects. Frederick, that was one of the golden authentic moments in radio when you said, I didn't really want to be in sales. I didn't, I wasn't interested. And then the more you know about it, you also used an E word, a very important word. And it wasn't email or, or E anything. It was empathy. And we know there has been a change in sales. Simone and Michael, you, I think you'll agree with this, that there's been a change from what's on the shelf, how, how fast do I have to get it out, whether it's B2B, B2C, whatever it is. I have to sell and I have to keep that pipeline full too. Let me build a relationship and see what I can do to be a helpful partner. And that's what this series is, Power of Partnerships, a partner to the prospect to help them do their job better, help their company succeed more. It's about empathy and listening. And I think this is the way we're seeing, especially in digital selling today, it's not about slamming the, the email or the, the post full of what you have to sell. It's what do they need in getting them to believe in you and trust you, right? Everybody, we got some nods on that one. Okay, good. I like it when my panelists nod. This is, we have to do a shout out to Nula Spooner, who is the lady behind the scenes who puts the show together. Nula, you do a wonderful job and I'm already enthralled with your wonderful panel today. So thank you, Nula. She is behind the scenes now on Zoom with us with her camera and her audio muted, but we know she's listening. So here we go. It's the part of the show where I've asked my panelists in advance to please send me a quote from a movie, a book, a song, something that has absolutely nothing to do with selling, and they're going to relate it to our topic in their own words. So Michael May has sent us a quote from Stromberg. It's a German, I had to look all this up, Michael, I'd never heard of it. It's a German mockumentary comedy TV series produced by Brainpool, and it was inspired by the BBC series, The Office, created by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. And Bern Stromberg is the star. It has become one of the most popular comedy shows in German-speaking countries and was honored with many awards. It takes place in the office of a fictional insurance company, Capital Verschwung AG. I probably butchered that. Capital Insurance PLC, where the trivial day-to-day events take place in an eerie atmosphere oscillating between bullying and psychofancy. That's using flattery to get what you want. Here's the quote Michael has selected from Stromberg. Working time? is lifetime and not a time of suffering. Michael, help me out here. What does this mean to us? Thank you. Yeah. So what does it mean? I, I think um, we, we spend a lot of uh, time together each day with the colleagues and with the clients and uh, with um, other business uh, networks. And um, yeah, I think just don't lose uh, the fun. Uh, always remember that uh, Work is a big part of your life. And uh, if you wake up without uh, stomach problems and uh, then everything seems to be good and uh, in a good mood and uh, so don't suffer. Enjoy enjoy the day and you will be successful. This, this is something, be authentic and uh, yeah. This Very is- interesting. Do, do you think in sales, Michael, that, that that need for perhaps people new to, either new to selling completely and maybe Frederick will reflect on this, new to selling completely 
or new to digital selling, which is the way the world is going? Do you think there's this sense of, oh, I'm suffering through this and how many hours a day do I have to spend doing this and how do I succeed and what if I don't meet quota? Do you think there's that sense of this is really hard work? Michael? It, it is really hard work, but uh, if you're motivated and uh, if you enjoy your work and uh, if you work hard um, with fun, and uh, then I'm quite convinced that uh, you will be successful. Yeah, so, and this is very important that you have a job you love, uh, you are empathic in, and uh, it's also something like uh, Frederick told us uh, yeah, during his uh, brief introduction. Thank you very much, Michael. Frederick, did you want to chime in, say something? Nope. Yeah, I just have to completely agree because I think um, I, there's a quote in Germany where we say, um, I live, I don't live to work, I work to live. And I think it kind of interlinks with this as well. Um, and if we actually find something at work that we really like and we excel in it and we can feed on that and really make sure that we're trying to thrive in that area even more and make that our own personal thing at work, working gets so much easier. Um, and Michael, I completely agree that, you know, we spend so much time with our colleagues that if, if it's a miserable work environment, it's not going to be healthy for none of us. Um, so being in a healthy work environment and really enjoying what we're doing is just very, very important. Thank you very much. Simone, your quote is up next, and you can comment on the other one if you want. But Simone sent us a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, also known as TR, statesman, politician, conservationist, naturalist, writer, and he was the 26th president of the U.S. from 1901 to 1909. He was also governor of New York, the 33rd governor. And a lot of people don't know that he is the fourth face on Mount Rushmore. In the U.S., people know George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln. Well, sometimes they don't know Abraham Lincoln was the fourth, but sometimes they don't know it was Teddy Roosevelt either. So there's four, and it's a good, good for Jeopardy show. So here is the quote from Teddy Roosevelt. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. What a lovely quote. We've got that empathy word buried in there somewhere. Simone, how did you find this beautiful quote? Talk to me. So I was reflecting with my son. So we were driving down to uh, the French-speaking part of Switzerland, and we were discussing about uh, what the like the subject of today all is about, and what is like the really deep feeling about it. And uh, we were then reflecting a couple of quotes, and we were searching, and we were discussing, and then we were like hitting this quote, and it just didn't went out of my brain. And I was looking at the internet who Teddy Roosevelt was, and I found out that he is the fourth face, <laughs> which inspired me even more. And, um, and I think it's all about the, the thoughts that I made myself when I was reading what we are talking about today. And um, it's really about, like, it, it tells me about credibility and trust. It's all these, like, important words that, or the words that are so important to me. Uh, said credibility and trust and it starts all with a personal conviction and and beliefs in what I do and what I'm representing and my behavior in regards to this and when you read why Ted Roosevelt said or why he was quoting this sentence it's really about how I am behaving and and it's my personal action and you must make a difference with all you do. And um, the outcome must be positive, not for me personally, but for my environment, the people around me, for my customers. 
and uh, it must turn out as a success for them. And the ones that are, are directly affected must be positive, must live a positive change. And um, representing this and, and speaking out loud about these changes and the happiness of people, this this took me. It's, it's just a sentence took me and it doesn't go out of my head again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad. I don't usually hear such passion for the quotes, our panelists. <laughs> I found a quote. Here it is. I'll tell you about it. But the fact that it spoke to you, and it reminds me of a quote from Maya Angelou, the very famous poet, and she, she had a, a million jobs in her lifetime, I think seven autobiographies, something about it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you do, it matters that people know you cared. It's, it's how you made them feel. There's that empathy word. I feel that you hear me. You've touched me. I understand you. I hear what you say. Thank you. Lovely quote, Simone. And I'm so glad it worked for you on a personal as well as a business level, too. And Frederick, he is waiting patiently. Frederick has picked a quote. We love this quote from Walt Disney. No, it's not a quote from Mickey Mouse. Walter Elias Disney, 1901 to 1966, American entrepreneur, animator, voice actor. He did some of the early voices for his characters, writer and film producer. He was a pioneer in the American animation industry. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows, he took art classes as a young boy and was a commercial illustrator at age 18. And then he started Disney Brothers Studio with his brother and developed Mickey Mouse in 1928. He holds the record for the most Academy Awards earned by any individual, 22 Oscars, 59 nominations. And here is the quote. It's a business quote from Walt Disney. And as I said, Frederick, we love this one. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. And I'm going to quit talking and let you begin doing. Frederick, talk to me. I uh, thank you so much. I absolutely love this quote. I love Walt Disney and what he stands for. And I've, I watched this documentary on him um, a couple of weeks ago on um, a network, which I don't know if I can say because I don't know if we're allowed to do branding. Um, yes, you can say the network. It's okay, okay. It was Disney Plus. Um, okay. It was called The Imagineering Story. And it's all about Walt Disney and how he started the Disneylands all across the world. And what really brought my attention to the documentary is how he he came up with ideas and he just thought, I'm just going to do it. And if it works, then it works. And if it doesn't, it's a fail. But I can grow from it and see why it failed and just continue growing and growing and growing. And if we look at the empire that he has built now, um, that just to me was very, very interesting. And I feel like that is something that we need to do in in our work life more often as well. Um, we tend to do a lot of, or we tend to stick to a lot of processes, to a lot of um, regulations, to a lot of um, things that are in place that might be, or might have been in place for a long time. But I think it's sometimes time to change things up and we need to quit talking about it and we just need to start doing it. We need to find new approaches to talk to clients if we want to relate it to sales. And that's why I feel like that quote is very inspirational because sometimes I don't need to think about contacting a client and researching the client, but mm -hmm. I just need to pick up the phone and call them. Um, I just need to send out that email without thinking about it because I just need to get in contact. And yeah, that's, that's why I really, that's why I'm inspired by this quote. Thank you. And you brought up some interesting topics there, Frederick, because the big debate about cold calling and is the, we used to call it a Rolodex, is it dead? And should you actually talk on the phone? Should you write a handwritten note? Should you do things the old fashioned way? And sometimes today to stand out from the digital crowd, it's okay to do that. It's okay to make that a level of more one-on-one -on -one connection. So thank you for that. Thank you all for your very thoughtful quotes. We appreciate those. And now we're up to the serious part of the show. <laughs> 
the roundtable. And I'm looking at everybody has sent me on this panel four statements of topics that are something they would like to talk about. I'll pick one from each and we'll go around the table. So I'll start with one from Michael May. And Michael, talk for about two and a half minutes or so about the topic, expand it. I'll read the read part of it to you. And then we will ask Simone to, Simone, here's the tricky part. Agree or disagree with Michael. Don't be afraid to disagree. He's not, you know, we're all distanced here. And then Frederick will get to agree or disagree with Michael and or Simone. So you've got even more content to talk about. So Michael May told me the following. He said, social selling, actively engaging with and understanding social networks is a key to success in social selling. If you understand the context of networks, it is also easier to actively engage in dialogues, in the distribution of content and new topics. This is like a primer, one-on-one, a primer for social selling, digital selling, Michael. So why don't you expand it with your point of view and then we'll go around the table. Michael May, you're up. Yeah, my love. Thank you, Bonnie. So yes, um, in the context of uh, digital selling, social selling is uh, becoming more and more uh, important, especially for us in, in time like this, when you don't have uh, the possibility to take part at a real uh, business networks, at um, congresses or um, other platforms where you can meet people in the people business. It's quite um, important yeah, to, to think about um, the amount of social networks which exist, to think about uh, the peer groups behind these social networks and uh, the goal um, which which you want uh, to reach uh, when when working in a in a in a special network in a social network, and you have a different uh, kind of networks. We focused, for example, on the LinkedIn platform, and also we are part uh, of the Facebook and the Twitter community. But uh, yeah, it's it's a different kind of uh, speech, and uh, just think about what you want to reach and how to to um, yeah, get more contact to, to clients, especially without personal contacts. This is behind this social selling. Thank you very much. Context and language that they speak on each platform. Simone, please join us. Agree or disagree or add some of your own thought leadership to what Michael shared. Go ahead, Simone. Yeah, so I, I don't want to say just I agree. I do agree with Michael. Sure, I do agree. Uh, but I would like to focus on one, one like special word in this buzzword, uh, social selling or social network, whatever. And I would like to focus on the, on the word social. And um, I'm personally convinced uh, that even if we are engaging via somewhat unpersonal, un, un, yeah, unpersonal channel, we really must make sure that we become personal. And uh, why I say that is um, when you look at the, at the network, wherever you look at, is it Facebook, is it LinkedIn, whatever, um, and you look, at in, uh, you look in it uh, uh, on a daily basis, and uh, this is what we do, all of us, um, your message must really be personal. It must be a personal eye catcher. Otherwise, it just will get lost. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm super transparent. I'm still searching for my personal eye catcher. <laughs> I don't know if I find it, but I'm still searching and I'm still looking for it. And uh, I really want to be become like a social digital uh, poster that uh, has a lot of likes every day uh, on my network. But I totally agree with Michael. 
Thank you. Very interesting insights. Frederick, you're up. Talk to us. Agree or disagree with either or both? I am going to agree with both of them because I like the idea of how Simone picked one particular part of it. And I think that is a very important part in social selling um, because it's all about personal branding. It's about authenticity, about empathy, and about interacting with the prospects, with clients, and with your network in a specific way where they know that you are not being fake, that you are real and you have the best in mind. And I think a mix of both of their ideas is the perfect way to actually do the social selling. You do need to understand how a social network works um, that the interaction on LinkedIn is much different than, for example, on Twitter, that um, other social networks, for example, let's bring in a completely new one like TikTok, mm -hmm. the interaction and the consumption of those social networks are very important to understand so that you understand how you can play those social networks. And I'm going to use the word play particularly because it's all a game at the end of the day, because you're trying to manipulate the people on the other side so that they're listening to you. And um, by building your own brand, like Simone said, finding that one thing that makes it more personal and really making a personal message out of it, I think that's the way to actually succeed in social selling. Very interesting. Thank you, Michael. Great starting come. And, and I have a question for all of you. Let's just quickly go around the table. Um, the question is, when you're looking for the platform or platforms, and Michael, you, you said it so wonderfully, the, you're part of the LinkedIn community, the Twitter community, the Facebook community, and that's exactly what it is. And, and just putting those two words together in each platform context was very, very well done. And I think that's what we're trying to say. The question is, do you find where you want to express your brand voice on the platform that matches that? Or do you mostly look for where the prospects are to whom you want to speak and then learn to speak in that community's language? Let's just go around the table. I'm going to keep it on gallery view so I can see all, all three of you. So, Michael, where, what's the primary goal? Is it to find where the people are you want to sell to or is it to go to uh, where you think your voice will be most authentic as your brand wants to express itself? Michael? It's a mix of both for me, for sure. <laughs> in, in digital selling, in social selling, uh, I'm, I'm looking for, we are looking for um, clients uh, yeah, in order to, to help them yeah, in, in their digital transformation processes. But on the other side, it's also for me um, a quite um, important platform to have an exchange with other experts out of these um, technology transformation processes. So I can learn from others, but I also can give my experiences and uh, my um, um, things I learned um, in, in, in several community groups, for example, I can share it also with potential clients. Yeah. It's a mix of both. Thank you. Simone, what do you think? Um, so when I'm like shouting out, I have my preferred channel. But uh, looking at my customers or the customer or the person uh, that I would like to attract and to attack or talk to, I'm really using every possible channel that I can get from social networks to uh, just Google to just uh, talking to friends, family and others. So it's this, this network which is social and personal that I'm using. Uh, to get in contact with. So no, no real preference. Whatever helps, I use it. Okay, so be flexible, be fluid, be agile, and go where you need to go. Frederick, what's your thought? Go where they are, go where you want to be. 
I think, as Michael said, it's a mix, uh, mix of both. And I want to bring in the word pers- or the words personal brand again, because I think you do need a solid personal brand in order to communicate with people um, from a standpoint of where you are. So it needs to align with what you actually want to do. But in order to get to where you want to be, you do need, you do need to adapt a little bit. And that brings in the agility part again, because um, for the people that have a second language or don't have English as their first language, um, in a lot of languages, there's a formal way of talking to people and an informal way of talking to people. Um, in French, it's s'il te plaît, s'il vous plaît. In German, it's sie oder du. Um, so there are different nuances. And When I talk to client, there's a specific sphere, for example, the startup sphere. They like to be called out informally. They want a personal um, attachment to you. They do want to be seen as a more impersonal friend, buddy type of thing. Whereas if you speak to a more more traditional company, um, the formal part is definitely important. Yet I adapt partly by the address that I use, yet the message is still in alignment with my own personal brand and with what I want to, um, what I want them to know, if that makes sense. Exactly. That's exactly what I was looking for. The nuances and the ability to pivot and be agile and, and to do what you need to do, whether it's your brand, your personal brand, your business brand, or the brand of the people who you, whom you want to reach. And thank you for that comment about startups. I am ready. Michael, are you good with the conversation? May I move on? What do you think? I'm good with the conversation. Move on, please. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Go ahead, girl. Go ahead. Okay, Simone, I'm looking at your statement number one. This is very interesting. The biggest mistake sales executives of our age make all depends on, in your humble opinion, and that's what we want, the way they communicate. They talk to the wrong key influencers. They don't understand the influence of hidden decision makers. They don't try to sell a solution to their problem. They just want, this is what I open with, just their solution and don't explain how it solves a problem. But let's talk about, let's focus on the wrong key influencers. How do you know who the right ones are? Simone, we'd love to hear your point of view. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I think, and and it's really a thinking because I'm trying to find it out myself. we have a certain way how we want to talk to, to new customers, to existing customers, uh, the way that we want to find out who the decision makers are. And what my experience is in, in the last years is that very often we identify a decision maker because he is pronouncing himself as the decision maker. But at the end of the day, the longer you talk with these people, the longer you, you are like collaborating with, um, with companies, you find out that there is some kind of hidden decision makers at the back end, which is very often not uh, the executive level, so it's not the C-level, but it's some kind of the front line that is touched on a daily base by what will be implemented in the company, that, that the new product or the new solution that they will install in the company, that they're directly touched with and then you find out that these guys have a completely different view on on what the c-level thinks because c-level think about finance think about um like think about strategies etc but um at the end of the day this strategy must meet somehow uh the employee that at the end of the day has to work with this new solutions, with this new products, with this new approach that uh, C-levels do decide. And I think you asked me for how do I find them? 
difficult. I go to the network, I look at the company, I do some research, I try to get access to people working on the ground. So everything that I can do to find out who these guys at the front line could be, I try to do. Thank you very much. Very authentic answer. We appreciate that. Good how-to also. Frederick, we'd love to get your POV, agree or disagree with what Simone said. How do you find those influencers? What's your thought? I think finding those influencers is very important. I like to talk to, when I speak to CEOs, for example, or the, you know, as Simone said, the, the self-assigned decision makers, I often just ask them, who are the other people that are being involved in this project? Who are the people that are being impacted and who will eventually work with whatever I'm trying to sell them? And I think it's important to still maintain the hierarchy within the company of who actually signs the contract and pays the bill. Yet it's very important for the people who are signing the contract and paying the bill to understand that the people who are working with the solution or the product that we're selling are still happy with the decision that the company is making. Um, and I think a great way of doing that and to understand the the, the issue that a client has is, for example, a dis, um, design thinking workshop where everybody is in the room, everybody is, there's no hierarchy, everybody has the same voice, everybody's voice is, has the same weight in the in the discussion. And it's very easy to find the problems from every angle and from every um, step in the hierarchy and then trying to find the solution at the end of the day that is most fitting to their problem. Thank you. Talk to the people. Be real. Find out what their issues are, their pain. Michael May, we got to get you in on this conversation. Good around the table. What do you think? I'm... I agree with both colleagues. So without the hidden key influences, you have not the chance to, to transform um, yeah, digital processes or it's becoming harder and harder, even if a project started. Um, but it's also quite hard and difficult uh, to find these hidden influences, to define it. In Germany, in Germany there's a, it's a small, den richtigen Riechhaben, have the right smell, yeah, a good feeling for the people, try to convince them. And uh, yeah, from time to time, it's also uh, not possible to find, identify them without a little bit of luck or so. And uh, so I think it's, uh, it's, it's hard work, but um, when you identified these influences and uh, you convince them about uh, the digital transformation process, then the, the hurdles have been um, done, so. I think yeah, it's, it's a combination of different uh, things. Thank you very much. Good around the table. Simone, this was your topic. Anything you want to add? Or are we good? No, I think we are good. And, and I, especially I totally agree with Frederick. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, but I, I do also agree with, uh, with Michael in regards to the difficulty sometimes to get this hidden people, so to get these hidden decision makers, because depending a little bit who is in the front, so who is the self-nominated decision maker or is the, the, the nominated decision maker, depending on this person and how open and transparent this person is and, and wants to collaborate with you, mm. um, it's easier or, or more difficult. Interesting. I remember back in the day, uh, I think you're all probably old enough to remember this. We used to call that person in the company, but way before social selling, we used to call them the banner waver. 
Remember the flag waver, the person, Frederick doesn't remember, Simone does, Michael, I'm not sure. Uh, it was the person you needed to get to, the person you needed to talk to, the one who would wave that banner and say, yes, we need this product. Yes, we need the solution. I will run the course with you, for you, and take it up the line. And back in the day before social selling, the all of the, the tips and tricks were, how do you get past the gatekeeper, who was usually, we used to call them secretaries, we called them admins. How do you get past that person? Well, you learn who his or her family is. You learn when his or her birthday is. You learn uh, what holidays they celebrate. And you say, hey, 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 Mary, or hey, John, uh, understand you got a birthday coming up. Hope you're going to have a good time with your family. And you got on a personal level with them. Empathy, right? It might have been a little phony, but empathy to get into the, the, the key decision makers, get into their calendar to get a phone call with them. That's the way we used to do it. It's everything has been changed. I was never in sales, but in a way, we're all always selling. We know that. Frederick, you're up next. I'm looking at your statement number one. This is an interesting concept. You say pace, P-A-C-E, pace is everything, not only while running a marathon, but also while driving the sales cycle. Expectation alignment and proper time management can make or break a deal. Can you please unpack this for us? Frederick, go ahead. Yes. So for the um, active people, um, in our sphere here. Um, when you run a marathon, if you run a marathon, pacing is everything. If you start out too quickly, you're going to be exhausted and it's going to be a mess towards the end. If you are too slow at the end, uh, in the beginning, and you want to be fast at the end, you might have lost too much time in the beginning. Um, I actually ran my first marathon while COVID-19 was going on. Um, mm. So, and by myself, which was sad, but it still worked. Um, <laughs> and I... I, I tried to stick with the same pace the entire time. Um, I had the expectation I was going to hit a certain time and I managed to hit that. Um, so to relate that to sales cycles, I think it's very important to always be aligned with a client, to understand their timeline. When do they want to start a project? When do they want to go live with a project? When do they want to purchase the solution? Because I feel like sometimes, in my personal opinion, salespeople tend to push a little too much, which can actually drive away the client at the end of the day. And sometimes we're not pushy enough because we're we're worried that this is going to hit a wrong nerve on the client side. So I think, um, and that's where empathy comes in place again, if you understand how the customer feels and how urgent the need is, it's easy to actually understand how quickly they need to make a decision. And um, I usually try to be very open with my clients to tell them, hey, what do you want the next steps to be? When do you want them to be? Do you think we can do this earlier um, to understand their side? On the other side, I try to do the same by saying, hey, I cannot promise this to you by uh, the end of the week mm -hmm. because I still need to do certain steps within my, um, my work before I can get this to you. So I think it's very important to always align and um, to always make sure that everybody is on the same page and thus manage the entire sales cycle so that you're not going too fast in the beginning and not too fast at the end, but that everything is paced out exactly the way you need it in order to close that deal. Thank you. So what I hear you saying is pace is contextual and you need to know the context of the client, the prospects, company pace, their maybe their career goal pace, their department. If their department is the one that's pushing this, how fast can they interact with the rest of the company, the top decision? It's 
I think you need a degree in psychology to do this, actually. I have one. That's why I can talk to people. (laughs) I also studied improv, and that helps a lot in being able to be fluid when you speak. Michael May, you're up. Please react to what Frederick said. Agree or disagree? Michael, go ahead. Again, I agree with uh, Frederick. Pace is uh, everything, but... I come back to to Stromberg. Um, yeah, if you're motivated and happy with your job, uh, empathic and uh, authentic um, as a sales guy, then I think um, you you have uh, to listen first to your customer. Yeah, when you you are not under pressure and you have a happy and a successful job uh, environment, then just listen to your client, understand his problem, which has to be solved, and uh, then align with uh, the client uh, to go further and uh, without making pressure to the client um yeah it's it's uh, the pace is given by by the client and not uh, by my selling pressure mm, interesting simone join us please what do you think uh so i i i agree with both totally um but i would like to add something to the to these, like, it's, it's about two words. It's, it's about time, uh, it's about pace, and it's, it's about expectations. And I'm convinced that, um, that all this goes together um, and has an influence on a very sensitive plantlet. And it's about trust. Because everything that we try to do with the pace, with the time, with the engagement, has something to do with trust. So we need the trust of our counterpart, of our customer, of our of the people around us, uh, to make sure that we get into business together. And I think two words, and, and I, I just translated to your words, Frederick, into my words, and it's responsiveness and keeping the promise. These are the two words that I created out of your sentence for me. And these two words, if we really can stick to these two words, we get the trust from our counterpart. And as soon as we have the trust, I think then is the, the pace and the, uh, the expectations, the, the common or the joint expectations that we want to, to reach at the end of the, the project is something that will start to grow. Like I said, this little sensitive plantlet will become a tree but we have, to, we have to take care of. Thank you very much. Great around the table. Appreciate that. Frederick, anything you want to add to your co-panelists on your topic? Yes, yeah, Simone, I love how you bounced off of my idea because I think keeping the promise is one of the most important things. And I think if we do align the expectations in the beginning, it's easier for everyone to actually keep their promise. Thus, building the trust will make everything a lot easier. So I uh, 100% agree with what you said. And Michael, with yours as well, with your opinion. Thank you. Everybody likes each other. <laughs> Disagreement can be good too, but everybody likes each other. We have time for another statement, Michael May. I'm looking at your statement number four, and this is something that comes up all the time. I have an SAP series called Changing the Game with Digital Selling, and we talk about these types of things, and I'm very happy that Nula picked this topic for the power of partnerships because we're looking at it from the partnership perspective, and when you're doing digital selling, your goal is to be a partner, right? with the person you're, to whom you're trying to sell. So Michael's comment says, how can social selling be integrated into everyday working life for the social selling strategy to work? You should get used to a few things every morning. 
answer comments and messages, check and accept LinkedIn requests, find content to share, check who has viewed your profile, look at who has liked your posts and reacted, send a contact request to people who reacted. This is a 101 of social selling every day, 9 a.m. And Simone is saying, yes, yes, yes. Michael, just give us a little more depth on this and maybe we'll get some other tips from Simone and Frederick. Michael, go ahead. For for me, it's uh, quite important that you repeat um, your messages um, in in the social networks as often as you can. And it does not take a long time to share um, links or to answer comments or to push new messages uh, into your network or to like interesting um, expert uh, opinions uh, from others. And it's, it's uh, quite important that, um, yeah, you get also personal followers because you're probably a person uh, who is interesting with, with news um, um, sharing to the networks. And um, this does not uh, work if you make it once a week. Yeah, make it 10 times, 15 times, 20 times a day. Look uh, in the social network. You have your mobile the whole day uh, next to you. Um, and I think, um, yeah, it, it, uh, it's so important uh, to be um, ready and um, yeah, visible um, as often as you can. And it takes not so much time. And that's one of the biggest worries of companies new to this. It's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to the rest of what I need my my team to do? Uh, I have notifications turned on, Michael, on LinkedIn. And when somebody mentions a radio show that they were on where I'm the host, the producer, I get someone reacted to a LinkedIn message that you were mentioned in. So I automatically know it just comes right in my email. And I think notifications used well can help guide your day and your time rather than having to go and say, oh, did anybody comment? So I think that's another way. Let's quickly go around the table. We're not out of time yet, but we're four minutes away from the crystal ball predictions. Simone Osh, what did you think about what Michael May said? Agree or disagree? And how do you spend your time on social? Oh, I, 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 I really make it short this time. I totally agree uh, with, my, with what Michael add, uh, said. I, I don't have really something to add to it. The only thing what I would add is we have to change our behavior. And instead of opening all the nice letters that we got from via post mail in the morning, what happened in the past, we just spent this like 10, 15 minutes on the social, um, on the social networks in the morning. That's all I have to add. Thank you very much, Frederick. What do you think? What does your clock look like in the morning? I'm going to bounce off of that straight away because that's exactly what I do. I started back in the day when I started doing social selling, I had a 15, 20 minute blocker in my calendar every morning so that nobody else would put any meeting requests in there. And that's when I started working on my social media. That's when I made sure that in my networks, I can bounce off of other people's ideas. I scroll through it. Um, but it, as, you, as Simone said, it, it's a change of behavior that we need to do. And it became such a part of my daily life that I don't need those blockers in my calendar anymore. But every spare minute, I get a notification just like you, Bonnie. And I look at it and then I immediately scroll for five minutes. Okay, who else has posted something interested? Is yep. there something cool to share? I interact with the people. Um, and that's how I maintain my social network. And I think it's very, very important to actually do the change in behavior to make sure that this is um, just internalized in our own daily life. They used to say, be there or be square. Simone, I want to touch very briefly. Maybe they still say it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if young kids. 
Uh, Simone, just quickly, there was a statement number three you sent. I just want you to spend one minute on this. This could be a topic for a whole new show. You say the problem to tackle is that normally employee questioning is not shared with the sales team. How do you get information without back-channeling and double-crossing the C-level? Boy, is that a loaded question. Simone, just briefly, what's your thought on that, please? Yeah, so I, I think the entire thing is about, we talked a lot about trust and uh, empathy and um, personal emotional things. And uh, no one likes um, um, to be like double, to be like questions, uh, questioned or whatever. But we, we have identified these like hidden decision makers. And um, we thought a lot about how do I get there without offending someone, uh, without uh, backnackling someone? And and um, I think um, we have really to make sure that we get a real deep insight into a company, that we really get 100% trust, that we get every um, empathetic angle that we can catch to make sure that when we do the research, to find the right people, when we do the questioning of the right people, that we are allowed to get in there and that nobody sends, uh, nobody feels offensed by the question about who are the hidden decision makers. Okay. Thank you very much. Interesting, Simone. It's time for the crystal ball prediction round. Can't wait to see what, the, I'm going to call you all futurists now because we're looking into the future. So you can put that in your bio. I am a futurist. Bonnie said so. Michael May, please. Michael May, 60 seconds. What brilliant prediction do you have about deal closing and social digital selling? Talk to me. Michael May, you're up. Go. Okay, thanks. Social selling, digital selling is all other um, digital transformation processes um, on the basics, the same thing. Act and fail fast. Yeah. Try things you never tried before. If you're not successful, um, then just uh, have a look to, to competitors or to your network. What uh, do they different or discuss it in, in the team, probably with, with the young people in your company, uh, the generation Y, who is probably much more uh, a digital expert uh, um, as yourself and uh, discuss, uh, brainstorm uh, new possibilities, ways you want to run and yeah, enlarge your digital personality. Thank you. So Michael May predicts you've got to enlarge your, you will succeed more if you enlarge your digital personality. I've never heard it put exactly that way. <laughs> Brilliant. Simone Osh, 60 seconds. What's on your mind? What do you see looking ahead? Simone. So I'm thinking about 2025 because honestly, 2020, I don't have a clue what will be at the end of the year. And I think no, no one of us really knows what's happening from now till then. So, but I, I predict that in 2025, we will have like two different groups of people that we are working with. We will have one that is completely digital and is not looking at all or just like very small amount or partially on a personal interaction. And um, which means that we really have to become strong in digital appearance and strong in, in this social um, um, in this social channel world. But we, we will still have the other ones that are seeking for this person-to-person approach where empathy, trust, reliability, and all these things are important to be successful. That's my 
thought about 2025. Thank you very much. Frederick, what do you see in the crystal ball? They were so concise, Frederick. I have a gift for you, an extra 30 seconds. So you've got 90 seconds. You can thank Michael and Simone. Go ahead, Frederick. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And I think what Simone said is actually very true that we're going to be um, differentiated by two types of people. And I think we now as salespeople have a great chance to build our brand and to be the to become the most authentic self that we can ever be. Um, I think, especially during these unprecedented times, it's very important to understand that there's so much compassion, so much empathy, and so much understanding out in the world that this will make our job a lot easier. Because if you are in a virtual call and a lot of people are still working from their home office, you do see kids running around in the background, you see dogs jumping onto the chair, you see a cat that runs in front of the camera, and that is okay. It is okay for things to not go as planned. It is not unprofessional. And I think things like that will make it so much easier for us to actually build a greater relationship with our clients because if the clients are still working from home as well and you see things in the background that inspire you that that you think you can relate to bring that up in the next call and it'll make it'll give a more personal taste to our sales and i think that this is what's going to happen in the future and this will make it a lot easier for us in sales to actually connect build trust be more empathetic and especially be authentic with our clients Wow, turning lemons into lemonade. Very interesting, Frederick. You are right. You're seeing into a person's life where they are, if they have family and creatures crawling around and how they react and the distractions. Very interesting. That's a new one. Thank you so much. I want to thank again. Everybody give applause for Nula Spooner at SAP for putting together this panel. Nula, you outdid yourself on this. Well, every show is good, and I love when every show is good. And Nula is the sponsor of the series along with Neil Cox, and they get support from Morton Andrup at SAP. Thank you. Thank you to our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller, the 20-something-year-old who has the wisdom of a 50-year-old. If they have wisdom, I don't know anymore. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron is the business channel team at Voice America World Talk Radio, and thank you to my panelists. And here's my call to action. Listen up, everyone. Fasten your seatbelt. I don't know about you, but I'm still getting two months to the gallon. I hope you're doing just as well. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, right now, just like Michael May at SPEARS AG. Thank you, Michael. Just like Simone Osh at SAP. Thank you, Simone. And just like Frederick Uckerman at SAP. Everybody wave bye-bye. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Be safe, be smart, be savvy. Be careful. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Power of Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.